Welcome to the Hidden Acres Podcast, coming to you from Hidden Acres Christian Center in Dayton, Iowa. We are pleased to bring you the audio from some of our 2022 High School Week seminars. This seminar was taught by Jack Bertelson from The Salt Company in Ames. The seminar title was, Am I Actually Forgiven? Understanding the Grace of God. Enjoy! Hey guys. Thank you, everyone. Uh, like I said, my name is Jack. Um, I'll be doing the seminar on uh, the grace of God, kind of the disciplines of grace today. And so, to introduce myself, I am in Ames at Cornerstone, I work for Salt Company. I see some Salt Company swag around here, no veer in the back um, from Ames. And so, yeah, we I've been coming here for a long time. We do our fall retreats here, a lot of stuff. So I am a college freshman guy something. That's my job title. It's not really clear in Ames. It's awesome. Um, and then next year, me and my wife, Jenna, we're actually moving to Oregon uh, to plant a church and like a college ministry, the Salt Company, out of the University of Oregon. So I've been in Iowa my whole life, but I am now going to be moving to uh, Oregon. Does someone say go Ducks or no? What about Iowa State. I know. Hey, I'm going to be an Iowa State fan for the rest of my life. That's for sure. But I'm now becoming a Ducks fan. And when if they ever play each other, for sure, Cyclone. But I'll be a um, Duck soon enough. So um, before we go, I want to just like be relevant to the room and try and be relevant. And I'm actually, today we're going to be talking through uh, the book, Disciplines of Grace. I'll be pulling a lot from this. Um, I have a few books to give away. Um, and I want to be relevant before we get in to my Hidden Acres experience so I can relate to you guys. So if anyone can guess, from the time I was a camper to the time I finished working on staff here, how many years I was here, I'll give you a free book. 2013 through 2018. Or just like years in total. 13, 14, there it is. Here, you can catch a book, there it is. We'll see, oh, 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 hey, you stopped it, soccer player. Um, yeah, so. I was here from my time I was five years old, worked here for four years, so spent 14 summers at Hidden Acres. So literally, this room was the only dining center I ever knew. So like this room is like so many memories of like singing us a song, you know? Like this room I have so many memories in of like pouring Kool-Aid on people, mixing gross drinks, all that stuff in this room. So yeah, the trail back to the old covered wagons right through there. It's great, I got a lot of camp experience. Okay, true or false, have I ever won conquest? True. true. Who said true? Someone right here. Okay. There it is. Throw another book. Okay. True, true is right. So one of my best athletic achievements, this is terrible when I tell people because no one outside of camp understands this, but I was a part of the winning team in 2015, I think, of conquest. Camp legends, the bears. My wife back there is laughing. Yes. It is one of my proudest achievements. You guys, conquest is a huge deal. And for some of us who are more competitive than others, it's way too big of a deal. It's not that big a deal when you leave here. No one cares about conquest outside of Hidden Acres. But if you're at Hidden Acres, everyone cares about conquest. One of my proudest athletic achievements, which is so sad, but it's very, very true. So one conquest of the bears. Uh, Camp Legend week. It's great. Um, I don't know what my last question is. Um, I, oh, true or false? Let's do this. Did I meet my wife here? True. Yeah. True. true. I don't know who said it first. True. One of you two. Okay, right there. True. So my wife and I actually met when I was a T3 or in eighth grade. Where the new dining center is at, there used to be a soccer field right there. I was a T3-er. A what? No purpling. No purpling. No purpling. But here's the deal. I 
my wife Jenna and her friends are playing soccer. I was a teacher. They were here for high school week. I stroll up, and I'm like, I play soccer too, you know? Met them. We're Facebook friends for like five years, like from a distance, knew who each other were. We actually found like Facebook messages from like 2011 of me like trying to, you know, slide in the DMs with her. It was terrible. It's like eighth grade, ninth grade me, like, what up? Um, but yeah, five years later, we actually reconnected. So our story begins here. I'm not trying to promote purpling at all. I forgot about that term until just right in this moment. No purpling this week, but I'm saying stuff could happen. You could find your wife, you could find your husband here. Anyway, moving on. I totally forgot about that. Thanks for reminding me. Purpling, good stuff. Um, but we're gonna enter in, and like I said, uh, that book, The Disciplines of Grace, that's kind of our topic today. So topic today, uh, transitioning in, is uh, the topic of grace. And all of you, if you're here, have probably had some interaction with like the word grace before. Like, probably some of you in this room are named Grace, or it's like your middle name. Like, yes! there it is, right there. What? So, you say grace before meals, or you've heard the word grace from a stage at camp, or back home at youth group, or in your church. All of us are still, are, all of us have heard the word grace before. And some of you in the room, which is totally okay, might be wondering, like, what does grace actually mean? Here all the time hear it all the time, you talk about it all the time, but you still don't know like what it totally means or you've experienced a lot of it and you totally understand what it means. All those people are welcome this afternoon. And so um, we're gonna be hovering around that book. I didn't bring mine up here, but the book, uh, The Disciplines of Grace by Jerry Bridges. If you need a book after you leave camp, uh, it is one of the most practical, helpful books that I have read. Um, it is just simple gospel truths that we need to remind ourselves of that help you see like who Jesus really is and how do I walk as a Christian? How do I live as a Christian? Disciplines of grace, going to pump that um, throughout this. And we're also going to be spending um, some time in Romans. And so the big question I have for us tonight, or this afternoon, tonight, I'm used to college students hanging out at night or the afternoon, 1 p.m. The big question I have for you guys is this, is have you ever questioned if you're forgiven? Like, have you ever questioned if God has actually forgiven you of all your sins, if you're a believer in Jesus? Have you ever questioned that? Like, question like, does God actually forgive me for what I do wrong or for the sin that I commit? Or maybe the other question would be, have you ever thought, like, am I, like, too good for this now? Like, have I outgrown this? I, am I, like, too good for the grace of God? Both camps. Like, people who are like, man, have I ever, like, not being able to get it, am I, am I not good enough for it? Or people who are like, I'm too good for that. Probably you've had like a mix of stuff um, before in your life. And so here's my story. I became a believer in Jesus in like sixth grade. Did the whole camp thing, did the whole church thing. And for a lot of my life in sixth grade, my life changed. I started thinking about the things of God, started living that way inside of middle school and high school, was known as a Christian kid. But most of my life spent following Jesus was an act of performance and trying to make the outward appearance of my life look good to the outsider, which I think a lot of you have probably felt before. Like trying to make the outward identity of yourself look good enough, look Christian enough so that you can perform or perfect it and make others believe that you're like doing well. But my story is like all through high school and even into college, on the inside, I was struggling deep with sin, totally feeling shame and guilt of all the wrong actions I had done behind closed doors. No one knew what was happening because on the outside, I made it seem like I was like doing great. Like doing well, putting on the Christian front, but on the inside felt so much deep shame over my sin and would question God like, man, am I actually forgiven? What do I have to do or what do I have to perform to make me not feel this way? And so um, 
I constantly lived in that shame and in that weakness. And to, this afternoon, I kind of want to help those people as well who are thinking the same thing. And so to address the problem we're going to address is everyone, truthful statement, everyone in the world has sinned. Like, we're going to agree on that. Everyone in the world has sinned. Everyone in Iowa has sinned. Everyone at Hidden Acres has sinned. Every single person, even you in this world, in this room, has sinned and are presently sinning and will continue to sin. So, like, to gather us together before we really dive in is all of, the, all of us in this room have the same problem, and it is sin. Sin separating us from God. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. And 1 John 1.8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. All truthful words from Scripture, from the Bible, that say, Everyone is with sin. Everyone has sin, and sin is leading to death. And all of us are guilty. So everyone's a sinner. All of us fall short of the glory of God. So to gather us together, I want to start with a basic truth and work from that. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And so there has to be a solution, if that is true. If the Word of God says we all sin. It's leading to death. There is no escape. There's no way out. Sin has control. We have to have a solution to that. Um, and before we enter in, I want to give a few definitions for you guys just to breeze through quick so you know what we're talking about moving forward. So four definitions quickly that when I give to you that you can like write down and remember as I say these words while we're moving forward. So first is the gospel. A word we've all heard before. The gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel. What we believe as Christians is that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Second term is this. Justification. Justification, so the gospel, justification. And justification is the instantaneous act, the instantaneous act of being declared righteous before God. Justification, justified means you are made right before God in an instant when you believe in him. Third term is righteous. A lot of terms, if you're a note taker, I'm really sorry. Um, The righteous, which means when God looks at us, he no longer sees a sinner if we believe in him. When we're justified, he sees uh, the the perfect righteousness of Jesus righteous. And so all that works together in grace would be this. The definition of grace is the undeserved forgiveness for undeserving sinners. So grace is the undeserved forgiveness for undeserving sinners. So four definitions, gospel, justification, righteousness, or righteous, and grace, all four things that help us build a framework for, for what it means to live under the grace of God. So four definitions to help us. And so I want to work through something as with the crowd today as we talk about this, as we talk about um, grace, two scenarios I want to work through in your head. A bad day and a good day of following Jesus. So a bad day of following Jesus and a good day. So if you're to think in the category, first up, of a bad day, and this is from the book Disciplines of Grace, what would you consider, and this, anyone can answer this, is a bad day of following Jesus? You have a bad day. Like, What would a bad day look like in your spiritual walk with him? No desire to read. No desire to read the Bible. Okay. Ignoring God. Um, sinning. Sinning, yeah, totally. Not loving your brother or sister. Not loving your brother or sister. Anybody else? Like guilt, shame. Yeah, guilt, shame, feeling the weight of your sin. Totally. That is like a bad day, what we think in our head, of following Jesus, right? It's like kind of easy to think like, oh, sinning, guilt and shame, not, no desire to read God's word, no desire to be around the people of God or love them. Now let's flip that. What would be a good day of following Jesus? Reading your Bible. Reading your Bible, yeah. With other believers. 
Yeah, being with other believers. Like dwelling on the gospel. Dwelling on the gospel. Yeah, that's amazing. Worshiping. Worshiping. Totally. Yeah, all those things. And it's easy for us to see, like, oh, that is for sure a bad day. That is for sure a good day. So let me give you the analogy in, in camp terms, okay? Because I love camp. I love being here so much. It's so great. Oh, um, here's a good day. Good day of following Jesus at camp, right? Maybe you wake up early. No one else in the cabin's awake. Wake up, get that crisp, cold shower in. Amen. In the mornings, boys' cabin area. You wake up, you know, you take your Bible, maybe go down to the boat dock by the lake. You read the Word of God. You feel like oh, everything you're reading is like, truthful and it's sticking out to you you pray for everyone in your cabin you come back you make it to flagpole like five minutes early you know go to breakfast eat breakfast and you're just like loving people all day it's like oh i'm so happy to be here and like the games you're not like getting mad at the other teams other bro sisters you're like oh great game bro like nothing wrong all day long you have an incredible day following jesus what we would think is an incredible day at camp get to the end of the day and someone in your cabin or someone you've met here starts asking you about your faith Asking you about your belief in Jesus. And you're like, oh my gosh. Like, oh, the whole day I got to like live this out. And now I get to share with this guy or this girl about following Jesus and what it means for me. Incredible opportunity just presented to you maybe after chapel or something. Now flip that quickly on the camp version of a bad day. And what we'll find is maybe this. It's like sleep in way too long. Totally miss flagpole. You like roll into breakfast and you're like, yo, I am tired like tired irritable at breakfast don't want to talk to anybody like frustrated at the people in your cabin like maybe while you're playing some competitive soccer tournament or something you're like oh this other brosis is terrible i hate them like i can't even stand to look at them like i don't even what's the theme like mario Kart or something like that team mario or whatever i don't know who that is you're getting frustrated that whatever it is all day long you're just like irritable frustrated maybe falling into sin mentally like all those things are happening and you get to the end of the day and the same opportunity happens. After chapel, someone comes up to you and is like, hey, like, dude, I'd love to hear about your faith, you know? I'd love to hear about, like, your relationship with Jesus. Could you tell me, like, the, the truth that's inside of you? And you've just had this day of, like, oh, woke up late, didn't read my Bible, all those things. Jerry Bridges, he says in his book this way, would you enter into those two witnessing opportunities with different degrees of confidence? Would you be less confident on the bad day instead of the good day? Would you find it difficult to believe that God would bless you and use you in the midst of a rather bad spiritual day? If you answer yes to that, you're not alone. Like 80% of people, 80% of Christians would say that on their bad day, they they would feel less blessed or less of the grace of God on their life than they would on a good spiritual day. So good day, bad day, kind of easy to see. So does God work this way? Like, does God work in good day, bad day scenarios? Does he bless certain processes blessed based on the spiritual performance of them this week? Or does God favor people in this room more than others based on like a spiritual thing you did this morning or even in worship? Does God withhold grace from people on bad days or does God withhold grace because people are having a good day? That's kind of the question I want you to feel in the tension tonight. So what do we do if we have a bad day? If the question still looms like, Does he bless certain people if they're having a good day rather than a bad day? Doesn't it make sense in our terms as humans that God would withhold grace on those with a bad day? That we would have to try and like make up for the the bad days. Like the rest of the week, you're like, okay, God, I promise you, I'm waking up early. We're making the flagpole. I'm not going to be irritable. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be frustrated towards people in my cabin. Like we have to try and make up for our sinfulness. That's kind of the thought we get when we're on our bad day. 
And I mean, what if we're sinful? Like we're really sinful. Like back home, you have a bad day and you're like, man, I am really struggling with sin. I feel far from God. Sometimes it feels like we have to make up in performance for those bad days to prove to God that we're still with him, to prove that we can still receive his grace. Or what about like the good day? The person who's had the great day spiritually, read their, if you read your Bible by the lake and you're up that early, you're crazy. So this, that's a crazy scenario. If you do that, awesome, but you're crazy. Um, but you have to think like, how good is good enough? Like, how good is good enough to be, like, blessed by God? How good do you have to be for his grace to be upon you that day? Like, how much do you have to read in the morning? How much do you have to pray? Like, how much do you have to, like, raise your hands in worship for God's grace to be present in your life? Like, even on the good day, you can still question, like, is this good enough for God? Like, am I doing good, good enough for God? I mean, Matthew 22, the great commandment we heard a little earlier, is, like, is there, any, is there ever a day where you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself perfectly? Like, if that's the bar, like, none of us reach the good day perfectly. None of us can ever reach a good day. So we have to ask the question, does Christian performance ever generate God's grace? Or does Christian performance ever generate God's grace in our lives or his forgiveness? Do my good days allow for God to be more graceful than the other days? Does church attendance, or does prayer, or does Bible reading, or does camp song sung actually determine outcomes? Like, does it determine God's grace in my life, his forgiveness? Think about it this way. Here's the analogy. Who's seen the movie Elf? Everybody in the room. Okay, great, great. Movie Elf. End of the movie Elf. A great scene. Santa sleigh crashes in the park. Engine is destroyed. Like, nothing's happening. Buddy finds Santa, like, miraculously, and, like, Central Park somehow, and Santa is frantic because the sleigh won't fly, right? But Buddy knows how to get it working. And Santa keeps telling Buddy it's like worthless because Christmas cheer is like ended, right? It's like Christmas cheer is the thing that fuels Santa's sleigh. Like Santa can't deliver, and Santa's not real. So if I just burst that bubble for any of you in the room, I'm so sorry, but it's high school week and it's time. So it's, it's time. And I think Christmas would be a great high school week theme. Just saying. It was. I'm out of the times. Okay, there it is. It would be a great Christmas week. It would be a great theme. Um, but, yeah, so imagine that. Imagine Santa. Everything for Santa to deliver the presents is dependent on Christmas cheer. And the best way to spread Christmas cheer is... There it is. Singing loud for all to hear, right? So in Santa's world, it requires the Christmas cheer of the people for Santa to fly and to be able to like give his presence to people. And I think often we think like in the movie Elf, we think, okay, for God's grace to work on our life, we have to perform and like bring up the cheer of our life for him to like forgive us and grant us the gifts, you know, the gift of forgiveness. Like we have to do something to like make the sleigh fly. So then he'll be impressed. Then he can do his work and then we're forgiven. Like that's kind of the thought we have. So the question is, does your performance determine God's grace in your life? And the answer is no. Because if God's grace was dependent on our performance, it would take away any need for a Savior, and it would take away any need for a cross. Christianity would become a performance-based religion where you have to climb the ladder in order to find God. And that's not it. Jerry Bridges says it this way. Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need for God's grace. Best, worst days are never so bad that you're beyond God's grace, and your best days are never so good that you don't need it. 
Bridges says that every day of our Christian experience, we should, should be a day of relating to God on the basis of his grace alone. We are not only saved by grace, but we also live by grace every single day. The grace comes through Christ, through whom we have gained access to faith and to this grace in which we now stand. When we pray to God, when we communicate with him or when he communicates with us, we do not have a performance meter that he's weighing our good or badness on. He doesn't look at us, judge us to see if we're worthy of a blessing or look at your bad day at camp and go, I don't know if they met the standard. Like if you believed in Jesus and said, yes, I am following him with my life, there is no performance meter on your Christian experience that he is weighing your salvation or his grace upon. He's forgiven you. Back to that term, he has justified you. And when you are justified, you are instantly made right with God. You are instantly made right through the blood of Jesus, made righteous. Saved by grace, and we live by grace. Two truths. The only way we can relate to God is through the blood and the righteousness of Jesus. Romans 3.23, I read earlier. The back half of that verse is Romans 3.24, which is, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For you have been saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Performance doesn't matter for God's grace to be extended on your life. What matters is your belief in Jesus and your belief in the cross, that God has sent all his sin upon his son in Jesus and that you are forgiven through that. So no performance matters, no good day, bad day scenario. God's grace is evident in both those type of days, wherever you're at. Because in the future, I can promise you that leaving camp at, on Friday and getting out of the routine and rhythm of being in worship every single night, there will be good days and there will be bad days. And the most important thing you can do is depend on God's grace in both of those days. And live out of that. So if performance no longer matters, if, in the, if Christmas cheer doesn't matter, you know, if grace is abound, like, the question now is asked, can't we just keep on sinning? Like, if God's grace is on my life, am I justified for you? Like, can I just, like, keep on sinning? If his grace is covering me, if it's abound, if I don't have to do anything for it, it's just given to me on a good day and a bad day, the question should be asked, like, can I keep on sinning? You know? Like, is grace something that I can just use? Can use for my own good, for my own pleasures? Grace is something that should change our motives and our lives as well. So can we keep on singing? Romans 6.1. I'm going to read a lot of this. If you want to turn there, you can. Romans 6.1 answers the question, if grace is true in our life, if we're forgiven, then how should it change our life? Here's the answer. Romans 6.1. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were also baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be with him in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer walk enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is free from sin, since a person who has died is free from sin, now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Christ no longer, death no longer rules over him. 
For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God, so that you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. When you're forgiven, when you're justified and you are righteous, made right before the, the King of Kings, before God, and he only sees you on the basis of Jesus, that does not mean that his grace is abound and that we can just keep on sinning. Because if the reality of that is true, that there is nothing you have to do, nothing you have to accomplish, no performance, nothing necessary for you to be forgiven and accepted by God, then that should absolutely change your motives. Grace should change the way you think and live and play. All the things you do back home, the, things you, the way you interact, grace should change all of your interactions. It's hard, but it's true. Pursuit is a theme this summer, right? I've been seeing the shirts, pursuit. I didn't get Christmas right last summer, but pursuit this summer, right? Pursuing your faith. To pursue your faith well, you must be tethered to the grace of God. The most important thing as you walk as a Christian is that you are tethered to the grace of God and that that would change your motives and your life. On your worst days, bad days, when you are struggling with an addiction, body image, gossip, depression, God's grace is still with you. On your best days, when you could not feel more close to Jesus or, or you're in worship and you cannot get enough of singing praises to him, God's grace is still with you. So practically, I want to draw something out for you quick um, and walk through as we interact with, like, how does this actually work? A good day, bad day scenario. Uh, there's this thing called the cross chart, and Veer in the back can help me out because Veer has seen this before. Um, but we have to ask ourselves, what is, like, the way we do this? How do we, like, live according to the gospel, live according to grace in our daily lives? And often, I'm going to draw one really quick. You guys can draw this, too. This is it. Sweetie stage. Awesome. It's great. So on this top chart, I want to argue, you can put a dot right here. Let's say this is the dot where you say, yes, I want to become a Christian. I'm following Jesus. You are justified, made right. You are righteous before God. This is the moment where you are justified. You can put salvation or something there. That's the moment when all of a sudden it's like, oh, the gospel is clear. I need to follow Jesus in my life. And on this chart is kind of the rest of your life. On the top of this, you can put growing or... Uh, Understanding God's holiness. I don't know how to phrase that faster, but. So growing and understanding God's holiness. And then down here is growing and understanding of my sinfulness. I don't even know if I'm spelling that right. It's, when you're ever in front of people and you're writing words, it's just, it just doesn't work. You know? so we're going to. Understanding, that's right. Understanding of own sinfulness. When you first become a Christian, you realize, I'm a sinner separated by God, I need forgiveness. And you realize, that, okay, it is only the cross that I can come to God and be saved. It is only through Jesus that God looks at me. And your life, you realize, okay, the cross is evident in my life. You understand God is holy, you're not something to bridge again. But often I think what happens is when we're first saved, you realize, oh, I'm forgiven. And now I can just keep on living my life. The cross on your neck never really gets any bigger. It stays the same through the rest of your life. The cross like, is the same as it was when you first got saved in middle school or first got saved in high school. And all of this is just a life of like, oh, I'm just like, I don't deserve God's grace. I have bad days. Like, 
all of this is just like thoughts of like, I'm just, God saved me, so my bad days really don't matter anymore. All of this is like, I, I'm good now, I, I got the good days. It's the wrong thought of like, something impresses God. The cross never increases in your life, and you realize, okay, I, I know I need Jesus, but I don't know if I totally need him and everything. This is the way I think a lot of Christians live. I think a lot of way I lived in my life, where, yeah, I was forgiven, I'm doing all the church stuff, but never, really, never did I really understand that it's my own sinfulness that put Jesus on the cross, and my own sinfulness that I want to keep living out of my life, because the grace of God is sweet. So that's kind of the first chart. We're going to draw the second chart quick. I'm going to down here. This works out nicely. And it's the same chart. I'm not going to write it out because I don't want to spell understanding again. But here's where you're safe. Justified. You realize, okay, I need Jesus. Top chart is growing in understanding of God's holiness. Bottom is growing in understanding of my sinfulness. And when you truly understand and start to live by the grace of God in your life, when you realize Romans 6.1, what shall we say then? Or to continue in sin that grace may be abound? And Paul says, by no means. When you recognize, oh, God's grace is on my life, in my worst days and in my best days, and I live by that in both, the cross of Christ actually goes, increases. And so when you hear people start talking like, oh, like older believers, or people maybe like old people in your church who just can't get enough of Jesus, people who are like, man, I want to live for him until my death day. Like when people say, I want to keep following Jesus, keep ridding my sin, people who are tired and sick of growing in sinfulness and understand that the cross is what has saved them, the cross starts increasing your life. And so this is kind of the chart that I want your life to be on. Like if you want to understand the grace of God and actually understand what it means for you, then this is the chart. It's understanding that as your life, as you go on in life, as you go on through high school, as you go on through college or workforce or whatever you're going to do, the cross should always be increasing in your life. Your best days of following Jesus should not be in high school or at camp. It shouldn't be in college. Your best days of following Jesus should be the year, the next year and the next year and the next year. Because the cross of Christ only gets sweeter and sweeter in your life. That's what I want for you guys. It's the cross would increase, that sin would diminish, and that you would realize on your worst and best days that God is with you and his grace hasn't left you on either of those. So practically, the big takeaway, increase the cross. Grow in awareness of God's holiness. Grow in aware of your own sinfulness and realize how sweet his grace is. When you continue to do that, your life will change and your motives will start to change as well. And here's the last thing I want to talk to you guys about. To practically do this. When you leave here or the rest of the week or when you leave camp in general, this is the thing you need to do if you want to remember this. And it's this. You need to preach. So you need to preach. And I'm not talking about like Graham. You guys like Graham? Graham Sproul. He's one of my really good friends and Ames. He's the camp speaker this week. Graham is hilarious. If you see Graham around, just ask him about Soldier Boy, the song. And you, are you guys too young for that? I don't know. You know, Superman, you know? I just ask him about that. When you find Graham. Also, Graham was talking to me about Conquest. I'm like, you need to play on a team. So someone needs to recruit Graham for their Conquest team. Yeah. Yeah, see, you guys got to do this. Graham, Graham is amazing. You guys need to do that. But, and I'm not talking about preaching like Graham. Graham is preaching on a stage at camp, and he should be doing that. And not all of us should become preachers. What I'm talking about is preaching to yourself. I was reminded of a quote this week from my uh, boss named Solomon Rexius. He says it this way, The most influential preacher in your life is yourself. Nobody talks to you more than you talk to you. And nobody thinks about you more than you think about yourself. 
And so what you think about yourself, what you preach to yourself, will become the most true thing about you. You need to preach that the grace of God is not tied up in your performance. The grace of God is not tied up whether you had a good day or your bad day. The grace of God is tied up in what you believe and who you trust in, and that's Jesus. Preach that the grace of God is always evident of your life, always evident in your worst and your best moments. Romans 8, 37, 39 says this. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No bad day can ever separate you from the love of God. And more than a conqueror, being more than a conqueror means that there's nothing left to be conquered. The work is finished. What God has done with Jesus on the cross means that it is done. What he has done for us is what we believe believe in. It is finished. It's said that you become fluent in in a language when you can start to dream in it. I took Spanish in high school for three years, and I never dreamed in it once, so I'm not fluent in Spanish. Maybe some of you are. But it's said you become fluent when you can start to dream in another language. So with that said, every single one of us need to be so fluent in the grace of God in that language that we start to dream in it. That when you lay your head down at night, you, can't, you cannot get out of your head. Not the worst things that happen that day or the best things. You just think, man, what a gift it is that I am forgiven and loved by a Savior who would look at me as righteous, who would not look at me for my past or my sin or my shame, but would see me as whole and complete, white as snow. In your weakest moments, you need to preach to yourself that there is nothing that can bring an accusation against you, that when sin and shame run through your mind, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that can separate you from the grace of God if you believe in him. Mark Vance, another guy I work with, I don't know why I keep quoting these guys, they're great, Um, but he said this, you need the language of the gospel, or you need the language of grace to preach the pressure of the moment. And the most pressurized moments of your life, you need to preach to yourself that God has forgiven you and his grace is with you. The pressures of your job back home or school or sports or whatever you're a part of, it's the language of grace that will help, will carry you through. So are you fluent in God's grace? Are you fluent in following him and chasing him in total assurance that he has forgiven you? So I want to end with um, something that I have uh been reminded of often when I'm thinking about the grace of God. Because in my life, like I said, the cross never really increased for a long time. I was like, yeah, I'm forgiven. The grace of God is on my life. But what needs to change now? Like, what needs to change? If, if God's grace is true, that I'm forgiven, that nothing you know, can separate me, which is true, then what needs to change? What I found through college is that when I kept growing aware of my own sinfulness, when I kept growing in awareness of how holy God is, so much sweeter things in my life happened. Like the sweetness of following Jesus, when people say that, when they're like, actually following Jesus forever is amazing, and you kind of question that, you wonder, it's because they slowly recognize how great it is to have a huge cross in your life. To recognize that, oh, the grace of God has covered all of my sin. And when you grow more and more aware of your own sinfulness and more and more aware of the ways that you fall short, it's more and more aware and more times that you can grow aware of God's grace in your life. And so I want that for you guys. So I want to kind of end, wrap up. Before we go, I want to remind us of eight gospel truths that are going to be true of your life and should be true of your life. Eight gospel truths, true of God's grace on your life, that you are forgiven on your worst days and your best days. Eight gospel truths that you should remind yourself of every single day of your life. And they are this. One, I am 100% forgiven of everything that I've ever done wrong. 
paid in full by Jesus. Two, God is my father. He is using my life for his glory and my good. Three, the worst case scenario for me is an everlasting perfect paradise in heaven with him. Four, Jesus is my righteousness, which means there is nothing I can do today to make God love me less or more. Five, I'm never so good that I don't need grace and never so bad that I can't have it. And six, the almighty spirit of God lives in me, guiding, comforting, and empowering me. Seven, when I am weak, then I am strong. Eight, I matter, but I'm not the point. Number five is what we talked about today. I'm never so good that I don't need grace and never so bad that I can't have it. So I hope that's true of all your lives. And if it's not true of your life, there's an invitation to do that this week, man. So many people would love to talk to you about the grace of God. And so many people, whether it's on a good day or a bad day, have the ability to share with you the grace of God that can be true of your life. And so with that, I'm going to pray for us. Um, but yeah, if you have any questions um, after this, I think you guys can stick in here. I don't know what's next for you, but I'm going to pray for us and then we can have some questions after that. So, Father, uh, thank you just for this time, um, for this place and these buildings and the people that continue to want uh, the grace of God to be evident on this camp. So for these students, God, for those of us that believe in Jesus and for those of us who don't get in this room, would it be true of our lives for all of us this week that we would understand what it means to live in the grace of God? That we would understand what it looks like to have the grace of God in our life, on our worst days, on our best days. Realize that God's grace never leaves us once we're in him, once we're justified. That is true of my life and true of their lives. That when we follow him, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, love of God and God's grace. And so God, would that be true of this room? Um, would that be true of so many people at camp? Um, that we would be people who only increase the cross, only increase the cross in our lives uh, for the rest of our lives. So God, with that, I pray for the rest of the week uh, for Graham and for these processes and for all the things going on that you would use an experience like camp to draw people closer to you. Um, that you would use a place like Hidden Acres to make people more aware of your holiness, more aware of our sinfulness, but more aware of the grace that you provide for us. So God, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.